Uh, the point at the top of page 74. What does it say? It demands a what? Does he always get it? No, he doesn't. Sometimes when God demands a response, he gets us ignoring him or not paying attention to him. Okay, let's have someone read The Bible Needs Life on page 74. end up here. This is a common question. We start out with good intentions. We want to be great parents, do well in school, or take care of our health. But we falter somewhere along the way. It may be subtle at first, but after a while we look back and realize we're not the people we wanted to be. At that point we often wonder, what does it take to get back on course? The same cycle can happen in our relationship with God. Laziness, a lack of priorities, and even outright sin has a way of lulling us to sleep in our daily walk with Jesus. So here's the big question. If you get off track, what will it take to get your attention and bring you back to God? In the book of Jonah, we see a man who got off course in his relationship with God. Jonah's move away from God's instruction wasn't subtle. He flatly refused to listen to God. But God got Jonah's attention in a most unexpected way. As we'll see in this study, God often acts to get our attention and draw us back to Him. Okay, so there is a need in our culture today for revival and a spiritual awakening. And we see that all around us. Whenever we hear the news, we know that that is most evident. And so I'm going to ask you today to let it be your prayer and my prayer. Uh, that we condition our hearts to listen with the purpose of being receptive to what God has to say to us about bringing us back to Him. You may just have strayed off course a little bit, but God wants us to get back on the right track. Okay, let's look at what the Bible has to say then by reading uh, Jonah chapter 1. If we can have someone read the first three verses on page 75 of your study guide. First three verses of Jonah. <laughs> the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and speak to them, because your wickedness and Okay, so Jonah decided that God gave him instructions, but he decided that he was going to do something else. So in verse 2, notice in verse 2, the Lord didn't suggest. Did he suggest? What did he do? He commanded him. The Lord commanded the prophet Jonah, and I notice he was God's prophet. He was not a wayward prophet. He was God's prophet. And so God commanded his prophet. He says, get up, go to Nineveh, and preach against it. These were his marching orders. Not a suggestion, not a request. And Old Testament prophets were regarded as servants of the Lord. 
Okay, so the key here is to remember that he is the Lord's prophet. He's not like some of those today who call themselves prophets. And they're not. Okay, he was the Lord's prophet. He was a genuine prophet of the Lord. And the Lord told him, uh, this is your marching orders. The prophets normally waited for God to give them instructions. And normally the instructions came in the form of commands, telling them what to do. Well, here's what I want you to do. Servants are expected to obey their masters immediately and fully. Okay? Jonah didn't do that. Nineveh was the, was the capital of Assyria. And uh, the Assyrian army had invaded Israel several years and forced the Israelites to pay some heavy taxes and tribute to the rulers. Nineveh was now located in what is now northern Iraq. Not far from the city of, we hear Mosul. It's not far from Mosul. Okay, so we can identify with where it is. The Syrian Empire was already a threat during Jonah's lifetime, just as it is today, and continued to grow in strength and violence. And we see a uh, history of that in Second Kings, uh, uh, chapters uh, 15 and 16. The Lord provided two descriptors of the city of Nineveh that are important to the narrative that we want to look at. First, he noted that Nineveh was a, a great city. Okay? It was a great city. The Hebrew term translated great had both literal and figurative meanings. Taken literally, it referred to the city's large size and by implications, its tremendously vast population. Figuratively, the term could refer to the city's great standing in the world in terms of its importance. It was an important city in the world. And then secondly, the second key feature about Nineveh was that its wickedness had confronted God and was about to be judged by God. Okay? So, you see, people can be wicked uh, to the extent where it can attract God's attention and cause God to say, okay, this is number one priority on my list. Well, that's what happened with Nineveh. God, it got to the point where God says, okay, the wickedness of Nineveh is to such an extent, Nineveh becomes a priority for me to deal with on my list. And God is still doing that today. The Lord, the righteous judge of the earth, was preparing to bring judgment against the city. But, consistent with his patient nature, the Lord would first warn the people through his prophet. And guess what? Jonah just happened to be that prophet. Okay? Now, as great as the wickedness was, God is a God of justice. He's a just God. He's a loving God. And there's a passage that says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should do what? Come to repentance. And Nineveh was no exception. As wicked as that place was, God says, these people, I need to give them a chance to get saved. And, uh, and so instead of going to Nineveh, uh, Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction. An indication of total and abject disobedience. Totally been in the opposite way. In other words, Jonah say what people say today when they don't want to, when they don't want to obey. They said, you know what? I'm going to show you better than I can tell you. People do that today. Jonah did that. So if you're doing that today, you're not the first. Jonah did that before, and he did it to God. We do it to people. Sometimes we do it to God as well. 
Okay, let's have someone read the passage on page 76. The chapters, the paragraphs on page 76 of your study guide, please. Anybody? Go in once. Go in twice. see exactly what Jonah do. A couple of key points. Uh, God called Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and call the people there to turn away from their sin. It's a key point. God did that. Second key point is, how did Jonah respond? He ran in the opposite direction. And the third key point is, when God brought a massive storm against Jonah's boat, he finally began to see the precariousness of his rebellion. So, what does that tell us? God has to do some things in our lives to show us how precarious our actions are when he tells us to do one thing and we decide to do another. Okay, second question on page 76. Why is it sometimes tempting to flee from God? <laughs> Why is it tempting sometimes? Not all the time, but sometimes. Why do you think? We want our own way. Okay, and isn't that characteristic of the sin nature? I mean, we are saved, but we still have inklings of that nature where we still want to do our own thing. What does the Bible say about the sin, about the, the sinner? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. 
no one wants to serve God. No one is, is, is without sin. No one is perfect. And so whenever God tells us to do something, we automatically think, well, there's got to be another way to get out of this. Okay? And we choose the other way rather than obeying. Okay, let's look at uh, the principle. Another point that is made in that passage. Some, the same principles are at work in the lives of, this is the final portion on page 76 of his study guide. The same principle is at work in our lives. There are times when God gives a clear call to return to him, but we respond by taking the first ship in the opposite direction. We go toward place, like Jonah went toward a place. Some of us go toward a person or desire, a thing that we can get away from God. Okay, let's look at the first paragraph on page 77. Tossed overboard to spare the ship and his crew. Jonah was miraculously swallowed up, swallowed by a huge fish. He spent three days and nights inside the creature. It's not surprising that Jonah was moved to pray and worship God during that unprecedented interlude. And he vowed to obey God's command. When the timing was right, God caused the fish to vomit Jonah out onto dry land. Try to picture the scene. Jonah lay on the sand, exhausted, filthy, and smelling incredibly nasty. And that was the moment God called out to him a second time. Okay? Notice, chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely large city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days, Nineveh will be demolished. The men of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Okay, so Jonah decided that uh, one experience with God in terms of disobedience was enough. Right? Even going to go through that again. And sometimes that's what it takes for us to obey. To obey God. Okay, let's look at the remaining passages on page 77. God told Jonah to tell the people of Nineveh, in 40 days Nineveh will be demolished. Talk about a message that doesn't lend itself to making friends. Can you imagine walking the streets of Chicago or Dallas or yelling and yelling, your city is about to crumble. You might get arrested. You surely wouldn't make friends. Yet Jonah did what was difficult. It wasn't an easy task. But he was obedient to God and faithful to his message. No doubt it's harder to follow God than to stay in step with this world. Then something remarkable happened. People of Nineveh actually responded. They repented of their sins and believed God. To display their repentance, they called for a national fast and put on sackcloth. Even the king of Nineveh repented. He changed from his royal robe into sackcloth to show his own repentance before God. The king 
charged everyone in Nineveh to call out earnestly before God so that he might change his mind and not overthrow the city. God used Jonah's message and disobedience to convince the people that he was a righteous God rightfully and fully capable of destroying them because of their evil ways. God used Jonah's message and obedience, not disobedience. Go, go ahead, finish reading. To convince the people that he was a righteous God, rightfully and fully capable of destroying them because of their evil ways. Read the last one. Okay, now I think it would be raw people all when we don't do what God says. Okay, because though Jonah disobeyed, he robbed the people of discovering another part of God's character the first time. But they were able to discover it the second time and they appreciated it right up to the king himself. He appreciated God's character of grace. He appreciated God's opportunity to give them a second chance. So think about that now. When you are reluctant to share the gospel with somebody, you are actually robbing them of discovering the uh, part of God's character, His grace. Because a lot of times people think that God is a, is, a, is a wrathful God. All He wants to do is bring judgment on people. But God also is a God of grace. And Jonah robbed the people the first time of discovering that. But God brought him to the point where he did what he wanted him to do the first time, the second time, and look at the remarkable response that he got. Third question on page 77, what does it say? When have you benefited from a second chance? Anybody want to share when they benefited from a second chance? And anything. Not necessarily God's second chance, but anything that you experience that you think you would want to share. An accident. An accident? Okay. When you live through it. Hmm? When you live through it. When you live through an accident. Right. You get a second chance. And uh, you know, I, I can attest to that. I, I was uh I was in an accident one time in, in Florida and the car was totaled. But I, I was on I was on um, Prince Charles one time and uh, I was heading west and the car was coming in the opposite direction. And um, she decided to turn, and um, I didn't see her because there was a car inside of me. We were, it was a two-lane, two-lane, uh, by right by Super Value on Prince Charles, and uh, because there was a car on the side of me, I didn't see her. I could not see her, uh, but a car, another car stopped to let her turn, and she turned and <laughs> slammed right there at the intersection. What was interesting was both cars were the same make and model in the same color. Oh, that was unique. Uh, <laughs> and when I went, people passed in, they said, wow, look at that. What are the chances of that happening? Mm-hmm. Both cars, same make and model, and same color. But you know, last Sunday after church, I went to see on the very first day. When I was here, they were going on a picnic. So, they said, come go, come go with me. Would you like to go to church? I said, child, I'm going to church. I'll come next Sunday. Guess what happened? Last Sunday, they was in an accident. I said, God, you study. Wow. I said, I'm going to be that. Wow. So I said, God, you got me on this point. I said, what? Amazing. So God, I think so. So God, you got me from that. Boy, that's a good second chance to have. Okay, but uh, we, we all have had those experiences of second chances. 
and uh, you know the lady and in that particular accident the lady tried to uh, tell explain to the police officer that well this other person stopped to let me turn and he didn't stop the police officer said miss let me tell you something the only person who could give you directions on the street is a police officer okay and so that shut up right there and I remember I was in the I, was, I had a meeting at the prime minister's office and I was sitting down waiting and when I got a call from her and she was telling me that the insurance company said bring the car uh, bring the car there and uh, so that they can make arrangements to have it repaired. But I, I, I remember, boy, I need to drive for myself and for other people now when I'm driving. Because you gotta, you got to sometimes kind of guess what the other driver is going to do in order to avoid an accident. So we can often benefit from second chances. Especially now that the memory signal is Yeah, people don't know what signals are for these days, you know. Uh, next question, number four. Which report actions towards human and human rights? Teachers are Okay. He's a gracious God. Okay. He's a God of second chances. Okay. He's a merciful God. All of those things that teach us about God's character. Okay. As we look at Jonah 3.10, we'll see a second example of God's grace in action. Uh, verse 10. Then God saw their action that they turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do to them. And he did not do it. You see that? We often don't think about God changing his mind, do we? A couple of things we notice here. Uh, the Hebrew word translated relented is difficult to render accurately. It can mean repented, it can also mean had compassion, or it can also mean changed his mind. The thought of God changing his mind causes difficulty for some Christians. How can God decree a particular outcome and then move in a direction different from his earlier pronouncement? Two things should be kept in mind. First, we're speaking of a God whose ways are infinitely beyond our ability to comprehend. Remember what the scripture says? His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Remember that? Sometimes scripture illustrates divine action using language that represents the actions of finite human beings. But the reality of what God does and how he does it is far greater than human language can express or the human mind can actually grasp. The second thing to remember is that when God changes his mind, it is because he has compassion for people and responds to genuine repentance. Now notice in Jonah's case, God responded to the genuine re repentance of these people. Not only did they change, but they went into a period of fasting. God didn't ask him to go into no fasting. Okay, but fasting indicates a genuine change of heart. And they went as far as putting on sackcloth and ashes, so it tells them that how much they were serious. It can be in his plan both to punish sin and to relent when people repent. And so this passage speaks of the incredible mercy of God's heart towards sinners. And that hasn't changed. Remember, the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So don't look at individuals like, John, like Jonah looked at the Ninevites and think, boy, them people are beyond salvation. 
You know, they cannot be saved, they're too wicked. You know, we look at people like that sometimes. And if we look at them and say, the lifestyle they live, and say, boy, you know, that person can't get saved. But think of how God has changed the lives of so many people. A slave trader became a Christian, and now we sing hymns that he has written. Okay, uh, let's have somebody read the first paragraph. Well, let's, let's have somebody read the paragraphs on page 78. The story that appears through the book of Jonah is the story of what happens when people respond to the book of God's This is exactly the message we need to hear in order to experience the story of the Lord. Go ahead. One, let me fail to obey God. Strong consequences kill themselves from that sin. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish. It couldn't have been worse. He might have drowned when he said he's throwing over beside that ship. God could have killed him right there in that moment. Instead, God was gracious. Sometimes God brings teams to our lives so that we wake up before we bring complete destruction on ourselves. Two, blessing is found in obedience. Even though Jonah didn't know what was going to happen to him in the world, he was obedient, and God was faithful. The people responded. The king led the people to repentance before God, and the city was saved. I don't know who originated this statement, but I know it's true. Someone is waiting to be on the other side of your obedience. A human city full of dying people was waiting on the other side of Jesus obedience. If God is waiting in your heart to do something, you can be sure he's preparing something or something to happen on the other side of your Do you want to see a spiritual awakening in your family? Yes, I do. Amen. Start with your own dependence. Do you desire for God to start a great revival in your church? Yes, Lord. Let mm-hmm. him revive you, your own life. Start the work in Brenda. Mm-hmm. Do you want God to change your community? God that let him change you. Groups and communities won't experience renewal and awakening until individuals experience renewal and awakening. Okay, and so we can look at those questions like Brenda did from a personal perspective and answer those on our own uh, in terms of what we want to see God do. We complain about what's happening, but perhaps God is asking for renewal in you and me in order to be able to make the change and the renewal and revival that you're asking for and dying for. Okay, question number five. How can your group be a safe and supportive place for returning to God? And I would say by acknowledging our own need for, for repentance and revival and renewal. Okay, there's an exercise there that you can do. I encourage you to do that on your time. Uh, in your personal, probably a personal quiet time at home. And, uh, and see how it turns out. Looking back at the point, as we kind of wrap up here. Uh, God calls... God's call to return to him demands a response. 
<coughs> be sure that we give God the response that he demands and not ignore him like Jonah did and go in the opposite direction and suffer the consequences. I have personally seen individuals whose lives started to change and God, in order to prevent them for their lives from changing for the worse, God decided to take them. I remember the young man who led me to the Lord. He was on fire for the Lord. He had met, he had reached so, I wasn't the only one, but he had reached so many other individuals for the Lord. He was serving at a, at a youth camp one summer, and uh, I believe I told you the story, and uh, there, were, there were concerns from others in the, in, the, in the body that he was strained from the faith, and he was headed in a direction that was not going to be good for his testimony in the long term. And all of a sudden, he just died. He got killed, tragically. I remember working in Royal Bank in Palmdale when I got the call from one of my uh, brothers in the Lord. He said, you know, Lance just died. And how he died, sometimes we, we question how God decides to take his own. He died in a traffic accident. You know, he was on a, and he was working at a summer camp at that time. He was a the camp group was about to go to the beach on their beach outing, and he had a little motor scooter, and he decided, you know, I'm going to ride my little motor scooter rather than going on the bus with everybody else. And he was going on a, a curb, very dangerous curb, and they actually closed that road off. Uh, now that road is no longer used, but it's a very dangerous curb. You know, so it was a it was a winding hill that goes up, and you can't see anything that's coming down. I said, you're going up that hill, and he'd be going up that hill, and a Mercedes Benz was coming down, and he ran into the front windshield and came out through one of the side windows. He died instantly, you know, and it was a shocker to all of us, because at that particular point, he was, he was a, a counselor in a little dorm in the back of the camp. They call it the, the Bush Dorm, because it was so far in the back of the camp. And every single person in that dorm, he had already won them to the Lord. And he was going after others. And so a lot of lives were saved. But many believe that because his testimony was beginning to falter, God decided to take him. And uh, that, that happens. It happens. We wonder why God takes people who are, seem to be in the prime of their lives. And we don't know why, but sometimes it happens. And I could think of many individuals like that. I'm sure you can as well. Okay, live it out. How can we be open to God's call and answer when it comes? Three suggestions for us to consider. Be sensitive to God's voice. Don't let yourself become numb toward God. Immerse yourself in Bible study and prayer, asking God to help you be more, more sensitive to His voice. Secondly, respond with obedience. When you hear God calling, God telling you to do something in the days to come, do it. Repentance isn't necessarily when we obey God's call in the first place. And then repent when necessary. None of us will obey perfectly. When, we find, when you find yourself wandering from God, repent, turn away from your disobedience, and turn back to God. Simple thoughts to consider in light of where you might be at this particular point in terms of your obedience to God. And so spiritual renewal happens as we turn back to God. Be willing to always put your yes on the table before Him, even before He asks you to respond. In other words, consider God giving you a blank sheet of paper and telling you, sign it. And you said, but I don't see anything on it. You just sign it, and God will put the instructions in terms of what he wants you to do. Okay? Amen?